This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hey everybody, I'm Jeff. I'm a designer here at ThoughtBot. I am the guest host of today's podcast. We'll be interviewing Mong To, who is the author and creator of Design Plus Code. He is currently traveling around the world delivering a bunch of design workshops, which we'll hear a little bit more about as we go into the episode. And just a really exciting thing, uh, personally, a big impact on, on my own career and learning um, how to uh, design for iOS. Uh, before we get into the show, I want to give you guys a little bit of heads up. We had some recording issues, particularly on my end. And so, uh, yeah, we've tried to redub everything and, and fix it, but uh, there might be some errors or gaps in the recording. So just be aware of that. And uh, without further ado, we'll get right into this. How are you doing, Mong To? Great. How are you, uh, Jeff? Do, doing very well. Um, so we're catching you in London right now. You're in the middle of what is a bit of a world tour, if I'm not mistaken, um, traveling around designing uh, and, and leading these design workshops. It's, it sounds like quite a great deal. It's, it's really a big adventure that I'm doing right now. I mean, I'm literally you know, jumping from city to city every one or two weeks, and I'm doing these workshops once per week. And I don't have a lot of time to do any sightseeing at all or, you know, I'm just answering a bunch of emails every day and trying to kind of think of the perfect format for the teaching, right? Because um, it, it's really quite a challenge to, to be able to teach designers and developers at the same time because, you know, in my courses, there, there are not only designers but also developers and beginners. So I have to kind of have everyone on the same page. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before we, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, it sounds like just an awful existence traveling around the world, teaching designers and developers design and, and iOS development. Um, read sarcasm, but I, I'm really interested. Tell us a little bit about your background. What got you into uh, design? You come from Canada um, and you've had visa issues and amongst other things. And uh, yeah, just give us a little bit of background uh, on yourself. So I'm a self-taught designer and uh, I've been doing this for about 14 years. You know, I come from Montreal, which is a very small city. It's, it's really not design-centric. And then I completely skipped college because I, I just had no interest in learning what was then kind of like multimedia, very generalized type of design. Because back then, I was really passionate about building websites. So eventually, I found a job. But when I took that, I realized that I couldn't just go there on a part-time basis. So I actually had to, to go completely full-time and just decide to skip college. Or at least at the time, I thought I was just kind of going to start like for one year. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, I, I built uh, my own little startup in, in Montreal, which is really not a big thing. And then, you know, joined a bunch of startups in Montreal. And eventually I thought, you know, this is just not where I want to be. So I decided to kind of up my game. And especially when the iPhone came, I thought, you know, this this is actually what I've been doing for a while with in regards to kind of a little bit more of an artistic expression back in the day with skeuomorphic design. Visual designers were really like appreciated, especially at, at, at that time. And so I really grew and then I joined Dribble and then everything was, was great for a year. And of course, you know, I applied for a visa because the visa that I had was temporary. For someone, even though I'm like a neighbor of the United States, right? I live in Canada. And usually it's really easy to get a visa to, to work in the U.S. But in my case, because I didn't go to school, 
I was kind of treated like anybody else, especially, you know, if you don't have a college degree and you want to work anywhere in the world, especially a country like the US, it will be nearly impossible. So that's that's kind of like the problem that I'm in right now. And because of that, I couldn't continue to work in the United States. And it, it kind of created a lot of friction between, you know, what I wanted and, and the employers and the dreams and all that stuff. So I, I just go back and travel, you know, and, and see where, where it takes me. And here I am. Okay, so this is a pretty basic question. How do you pronounce the name of the book? Is it uh, Design Code, Design Plus Code, Design and Code? Um, it's Design Plus Code, but it's fine if you say Design Code as well. Uh, you can kind of pronounce it the way you want, but uh, the idea is really to, to merge the two because that's my background, right? As a designer, you know, I, I kind of transitioned over the years. You know, back in the day, a designer was mostly like a, a graphic designer, right? And then eventually, you have to adapt. You know, as a designer, you have to adapt. And I learned like a little bit of kind of HTML and CSS. And then I really thought that if I could learn PHP and MySQL, then I could literally take my own ideas and, and concepts and take it to the next level and have something that is dynamic, that is kind of breathing, you know, that if I wanted to add these features or if someone came to me and they wanted this, then I would be able to do it. So... I transition a lot. I mean, if, if you look at the whole history of design, every two or three years, there's really a big transition going on. Like nowadays, we have, you know, the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, which really forces us to kind of prototype more and have more adaptive UI for iOS. And if you look at just two years ago, it was iOS 7. And then, you know, and then five years ago, it was QMorphic Design. So, there's a lot of transition going on in the design world. And I think it's really exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I really agree with that. It's, it's an incredibly exciting time to be a designer right now. I have a friend who is just telling me, uh, to your point, that he, when he went to, to design school, and he studied all these things, but now day in and day out, he uses three tools, Photoshop, Sketch, and Framer, Framer.js. And, and and two of those tools didn't even exist when he was going going to school, and so that kind of is evidence of the the rapidness of change right now uh, that our like the digital space is going through, and it's I think it's also really interesting that the design and and design not just in the visual look and feel of a product the products we're building, but the actual uh, strategy behind the product. Uh, the feature sets, uh, what the implications it has for users, our uh, feedback as designers is being um, even even more valued now than it has, in, especially in the digital space, probably ever. Uh, so really interesting time. Um, that brings up a separate question, though, for you, and uh, you, you obviously wrote a book on this. Um, where do you think the intersection of design and code really lives? Where's that sweet spot? Um, particularly at ThoughtBot, we have a bunch of really strong designers who can code, but that's definitely not always the case. Well, like I said, I, I first started more like a, an artist designer, a graphic designer. And when you're kind of like in the artist world, you think more about connecting you know, emotionally, and you kind of think about originality. And eventually I transitioned into more like trying to be efficient, trying to be more pragmatic and focus more on the usefulness of products. So I think it's good to have both. But when you kind of transition from being kind of an artist designer to, you know, a product designer, you kind of find your, yourself with the same core values as any engineer. Because both of you want to be really efficient. Both of you want to make a product. 
both of you work with kind of the same tools, the same numbers, the same kind of units and all of that stuff. Now, the question is, what tools do we use and what tools do they use? And I think that it's interesting because five years ago, the two worlds were completely different in terms of tools. But nowadays, I feel like it's really coming together. You know, if you look at Framer, for example, you know, I can see a designer as much as I can see a developer using the same tool, right? Because you have uh, resolved in real time and you can see kind of how, how your code is animating on the right side. Likewise with code, it has tremendously matured over the years. Now, more and more developers are using storyboards, which is a drag-and-drop interface, very much like Sketch. And, you know, something like open science classes allow you to make an adaptive interface and have kind of dynamic data put into your interface and, you know, the layout will be taking care of itself. So, to me, it makes sense that more and more developers and designers kind of come in and work using the same tools, the same languages, and then just kind of figure out where do we delegate the task, right? Should designers focus more on the UI and the animations or and should you know developers kind of focus more on the the logic, the syntaxes and all that stuff. I think that's an important question to answer in the, in the next few years. And that's why I'm really excited about this. Uh, the fact that now when I go to a developer, you know, that person like is, is so excited about learning design, right? This is not something that existed five years ago. It's, it's really hard to be uh, you know, excited about UIs and, you know, about why deci- design decisions are made. Nowadays, everyone ex- is excited about that. I, I would go to a conference and talk to developers about prototyping tools. And then I would go to a design conference and, and talk, which is really cool. You know, it's, it's not something I would, uh, it would be interesting to a lot of designers, you know, five years ago. So you actually bring up two really good points and, and uh, two follow-up questions that go along with that. The first, what does it actually mean to be a product designer? I feel like if I go on Dribble, half the people who are on there call themselves product designers, but often I really have very little understanding of of what they actually mean when they say that. So to you, what, what does that mean? Well, um, product design, I mean, I can't say that I have found like a one definition that fits all, but from my point of view, at least, I think product design is all about, you know, building something uh, holistically, you know, from taking design, a development and marketing and, and put that all into one and making that into kind of like a specialization, even though it's very broad. Um, so a product designer usually is aware of all of these facets of design. A product designer usually isn't just focused on, you know, let's say the icon, for example, right? A product designer, at least the best product designers I know, they're really well aware of the engineering problems and constraints so that they can make the best decisions that they can in order to, you know, to delight users and to, to make sure that the product works in the hand of users. Yeah, that's interesting, and I, I agree. So to go back to my uh, second point then, I'm curious, you chose Sketch and Xcode to teach uh, designers not just how to code, but how you, I mean, those are an intentional choice, assuming that 
Xcode for you is, is a worthwhile thing to learn as a designer, but also a worthwhile tool to design with. Um, and I'm curious, there's, like, if you go on Dribbble, there are tons and tons and tons of prototyping tools out there. But again, you chose Xcode and Sketch. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, why you think designers should be learning Xcode? Um, uh, that's an, obviously an assumption um, given your book. So the answer to that is, is very simple. I mean, I come from a CSS and HTML and JavaScript and even eventually PHP and MySQL background. I feel very strongly that regardless of what tools that may be overlapping, that may be kind of coming up and really simplifying some of the processes, at the end of the day, you will still always be those languages, no matter what. You go to a develop- developer, you can't say, hey, use Framer and then, you know, that's it. You can build your product with that. That's, that's not going to happen. They will still use Objective-C or Swift. They will still use Xcode or maybe something like, I think it's AppCode. So that's what I mean. I, I always want to go back to the tools that you have no choice but to use them. So even though I know they, you know prototype tools are going to get better and better and better, I still feel very strongly that it is very important, if you can... You know, because the reason why we're using the prototyping tools is for whatever reasons, we don't have the resource to learn something a little bit more complex like Xcode. But if you can, and, it, you know, learning Xcode definitely is the best way to go, just the same way as learning CSS instead, instead of learning Macau or learning uh, Webflow, for example, right? Sure, you can create amazing results, but at the end of the day, CSS is the language that everyone use for websites, especially on, on the styling front. And then you have JavaScript and a bunch of JavaScript frameworks um, that you can use. So to me, I have the same philosophy about iOS development. I feel like Xcode is unavoidable anyway. And if you are someone who wants to learn a little bit more about engineering and you want to have the capacity to collaborate better with engineers, then you should kind of learn what tools they're using and what is unavoidable in the development world. You know, it's really interesting you say that. I think the analogy of an architect needing to at least know how bricks are laid, the fundamentals of an HVAC unit, um, such that they can actually, he or she can design a building well, is an accurate one to how designers in the digital space relate to the apps that we're building. So. That being said, I really have to thank you. I think I would not have learned uh, how to, to write Swift or work in Xcode had it not been for your book, Design Plus Code. And I was shocked in the process of going through the tutorial uh, how comparable Xcode was to a lot of the tools I was using, Storyboard specifically. I don't think it's the layout isn't all that different from, say, something like Sketch. And the complexity is comparable to things like After Effects, which is obviously a very big tool. Yeah, and the way that I like to think about Xcode is that, to me, it's very similar to the way that Photoshop works, right? Photoshop is like this huge tool. It can do anything you want. Anything you can dream of, it's there. Like it has 3D, it has print, it has even animation, GIF. So you can do anything. But designers have kind of over the years learned how to navigate through the UI and just focus on the little things that pertains to user interface design. And they found it, you know, over the years to be very efficient. So to me, Xcode is the same way. At the beginning, you're going to open 
the app and you're going to be like, what's going on? Like, there's so much things going on. You can do anything you want. You can build any app you want for iPad, for iPhone, for Mac now. Like, you can use one storyboard for every single platforms. And it's interesting because if you are a designer and if you kind of went in and you just, like, filtered the thing that you, don't, you really don't need and you just focus on storyboard and how to replace the assets and how to do animations, then there's definitely a possibility for you to say, hey, I can actually use Xcode to build my own apps or I can use Xcode to, to prototype because those features that exist in Xcode are extremely powerful and very, very easy to use if you kind of focus your attention on them. To your point, I was, again, shocked how Apple really did build so much into their animation functions, and it does so much the heavy lifting for a designer that it is easier than After Effects in a lot of ways. And to be honest, it, it would take about the same amount of time with, with a lot of tools. Like, you know, in Visions, some people may, may take minutes, 30, 30 minutes just to learn and sign up and all that stuff. But my point is, I think where it really matters is, like, the second time, you know, the second time you build your prototype, how long it's going to take? The third time and the fourth time. And I think on the fifth time, I would say that both apps would take about the same amount of time to create a prototype. I really agreed there. So I have a separate question. What was it that actually got you to write a book? I, I think it's an ambitious project that not a lot of people do. They may talk about it, but they don't actually execute on it. What was the vision? What were you trying to achieve? And what brought you to just, you know, starting so as as you may know i'm not a writer i'm not you know english is my second language french is actually my first language um i'm definitely not an expert in in ios development I, in fact i started that like six six months ago prior to to writing a book but i very very strongly when i started writing the book that designers should learn how to use the tools that are used to develop apps. And the fact that designers are, have no part in the iOS development process, to me, represented this massive problem. Just, just the same way that I thought, you know, people using Photoshop and spending so much time focusing on all of these kind of pixel perfection and textures and very artistic designs, you know, should just completely focus on user interface and using use some something like sketch which is a ton more efficient especially more modern because now we're designing for multiple screens so i felt very strongly about solving these problems so even though i had these incredible limitations and i was in this situation where i was basically just moving out of Hong Kong because I stayed there for six months. As you know, I've, I've learned iOS development with the help of an engineer there. And I thought the experience was so amazing that I had to write about it. In fact, I did write about it. And um, I, I saw right away, you know, the level of interest that designers had to, in, in regards to learning Sketch, first of all. So I've been writing Sketch for about Sketch for about two years. And then after my experience in Hong Kong, I started writing Medium posts about learning Xcode as a designer. And so I thought that was so incredibly enriching that I, I had to share somehow that experience. So when I was out of Hong Kong, I was almost out of money because I spent basically everything for my travels. And I thought, well, I need some money. So either I would do some freelance, which most people do, 
or I would write a book and maybe spend one or two months and maybe just get my no, 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 not at all. No, <laughs> no what, what I thought is based on the data that I had with my post, you know, I knew that there was a level of, of interest. So based on that data, I thought, hmm, maybe I'll can, I can sell like 200 copies and that would be at $50 each. And that would make me very happy. And it would kind of justify that two months of work for the book. And that was my little risk. And of course, it's very risky. I'm traveling. I'm not home. I have to spend a lot of money on places and on, on flights. Um, right now, yes. But back in the day, especially in Asia, you can find a, a very well-priced uh, hotel room you know, easily. And I, I really like the booking process of hotels because you don't have to wait for answers. And you almost always know what, what to, to expect. And the way that I would choose Airbnb would be like, hey, do I need a kitchen? Do I need to wash my clothes and stuff like that? So I really approach the two things differently. But anyways, back to the topic. So that was my idea of a book. And even though I had like a lot of limitations to write it, I still did it. And I didn't want to treat it like a side project. I thought, you know, one of the problems that people had was like, if it was just about writing one article or two articles, I would have done it like I usually do. I would just write an article and it's free. Anyone can read it. But I thought, well, I want to take it to the next level. I want to kind of think about the whole experience of reading it and learning this, the, the materials inside the book. And I, I thought, like, well, I have no choice. I have to write in three chapters, right? And I would have to write about Sketch. I would have to write about iOS design and, and the new things that come with iOS 7, especially back in the day, iOS 7 was, was still new. So, so people didn't really uh, realize how they can fully utilize the, the, the concepts like typography, colors, and animation. So I really wanted to, to insert that into the book and then sketch and then Xcode. So that was a lot of materials, but you know, I, I knew I had about 200 pages at least to write about and especially a lot of videos. So I built a website launch the the pre-order page which kind of details all the chapters and what I'm about and then that day I actually made the money that I wanted to make in one single day that's that's pretty substantial uh, encouragement to keep going especially when you're traveling i mean you're essentially paying for uh <laughs> you paid for what like half of your travel in that one trip <laughs> that's no um actually travel is is a lot more expensive than that uh, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that you know, I, I feel like th- there are sacrifices that I have to make and I cannot be economical when it comes to wanting to teach people. Like I cannot settle on, you know, like let's say I'm just going to stay in Montreal and I'm going to teach people in Montreal because I really want to go, you know, outside of my comfort zone. I really want to go to people's cities and go to them and meet with them and see how they learn and, you know, how I can kind of bring the, the, those materials because I think... If it was a sketch, I wouldn't have to do that because sketch is, is easy enough to learn. And I don't think that you really, really need someone in person to kind of walk you through all of these steps. Even though I do that, I do that kind of like as, as an extra thing. And I cover a lot of stuff like prototyping. I cover, you know, um, the whole iOS, the whole sketch and, and, and all of the hidden 
you know, more advanced features in Sketch and plugins, um, I cover all of that. I, I think that's great and people appreciate it. But the main reason is, is really to get people more comfortable with something as scary as Xcode because I feel very strongly that they need to learn those things. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite a story and quite, uh, I mean, it's a testament to what, to what you've done, especially coming out of not the greatest of circumstances. So that being said, you've you've more or less written this book, and you need to do some editing and and updates. And there's I think there's still more content that you plan on putting there. But how do you plan on scaling this entire project? Obviously, there's only one of you, and there's a lot of work to be done as you go and and tour. How am I scaling? Um, well, first of all, the book has eight thousand copies sold, so I'm super stoked about that, and I feel like because that was made possible now. The workshop is possible because, you know, if I think about the money side of the workshop, I'm I'm, ba- I'm basically breaking even of the travels and the expense. Actually, can I pause you there? Can you tell us a little bit more about the workshops you're actually doing? A, a bit of a plug and and tell us in, in detail what uh, what participants are involved in. So it's six hours per day for two days in the weekends, um, and yes, you know, it's a lot of work. It's been very, very difficult to find a venue in, in each of the city, and there's a lot of communication. And I think this is kind of one of the things that you have to figure it out when you're building a company or you're building a product, and that product is out there, and you have to communicate with your customers, and you have to organize events, for example. So this is one of the things that I'm trying to get a lot better at, uh, by the day and something that I wasn't very good at before, like two years ago or one year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really getting me out of my comfort zone because I have to go to these cities. I have to check all of these venues. I have to email them, send a lot of cold emails because, you know, you cannot spend five, ten minutes writing an email because most of them will, you know, basically be declined. So you, you have no choice but to send these cold emails. And that that's the biggest challenge I've I've had. Um, the second thing is that you know you have to spend a certain amount of time in each city. So you know if I was to spend just three days, it would would feel like too chaotic that I have to kind of switch and fly to another city every three days. So I decided to do it every week. But even every week, I feel like it's getting too much. You know, it, it's it's too much energy and too much um, a change of mindset because every city that you go to, it's kind of like you have to switch to a completely different culture, mm-hmm. right? And that's a lot of change for someone who wants to be teaching the, the same material in, in every city. And then, like I said earlier, you're teaching designers, you're teaching developers, and you're teaching beginners all in the same room. Now, how do you make sure that it's the perfect pace for everyone? Most workshops that I know of, they would make sure that the attendees have a level of technical expertise before accepting them in those workshops. Now, for simplicity's sake, I decided that I wouldn't have any requirement at all because that's the purpose of my book as well. I wanted to make sure that anyone can learn iOS development or iOS design if they choose to, if they dream to. So just to give you an example, this weekend we're going to have a 12-year-old boy who emailed me and he was like, I love your book. You know, I'm 12 years old. Wow. My dream is to design and code for the rest of my life. So that's what he said. He told me. And He's like, I really like the simplicity of your book. I'm really excited about it. 
And I'm, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Come to my workshop. I'll give it to you for free. So he, he said yes. And then I got an email from his mom. And, and, you know, they wanted to make sure it's secure and then he, you know, he can learn something out of that. But a, a couple of emails back and forth, um, she was like, well, he seems so passionate that I had no choice but to say yes. And, and that's so beautiful. So, you know, it's kind of like the philosophy of the course. And I want, I want to make sure that anyone who really, really want to learn this stuff can do it. And that's why I decided to, to open to everyone. Now, of course, it's a challenge for me. And um, I try to teach as much as I can in those six hours at the pace of everyone's kind of um, understanding, you know. And I feel very strongly that, you know, simplicity is the language that everyone can understand. And I also feel like, you know, if, if you have enough passion, then you can learn anything you want. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And I'm, I'm looking here at your workshop, your upcoming workshops. You've got Hamburg, Berlin, Istanbul, Shanghai, Taipei, Taipei. I mean, and Taipei is sold out. That's, that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to your point, the change of context must be really, really interesting. So I'm really curious. You have a vantage point that not a lot of designers who are here working for a company, for a product company or a consultancy like ThoughtBot um, do. You know, I'm, I travel around. Maybe I go to New York for a week. But you're getting to see all these different design communities. Tell me, what, what's your sense on, like, the global digital design community? Where, what are people looking at? What are people interested in? What are people um, building, designing? Yeah, what, what's your just general sense on, on our gestalt, so to speak? I was really surprised to see how similar that everyone is all over the world. Sure, they have, like, different expectations. They have different communities and some have more vibrant communities, some have less vibrant communities. But at the end of the day, I was really surprised that people really want to learn the same things. They really want to, to solve the same problems. And they want to do it in a way that solves their local community first. And I think that's really smart. And I think that every, everybody, every designer who's looking to solve a design problem should definitely look at the cultural differences between their culture and the culture that is more international. I think that people in the U.S., and I've worked for a long time in the U.S. and with clients in the U.S., I think it's the only part in the world that's really thinking about, you know, the whole global community around the world. And, you know, because English is so international and, you know, Silicon Valley is kind of the hub of technologies. And... What I'm really learning these days is, is really how to differentiate these little subtle, subtle details and the differences in the communities and how people think and, you know, what makes sense. So that, that's really, really interesting, definitely. What are, the, like, the hot-button topics that people across the world are engaged with right now? What, what are Languages, Language? definitely. Like, well, one of the things is that, like, for example, in the United States, you only think about English almost. As, well, especially if you're a startup and you just started. But here, most of the, the startups here, they will always think about two or three languages when they first start the design. And I think that's, that's a huge difference in culture. Interesting. So lo- localization is, is huge anywhere, like in China, even, even here. Maybe not in the UK, but definitely like in Paris. They, they definitely have to think about French first and then English. So that's really interesting. So kind of along the same lines, for you, what, like, what is exciting for you in the design community? I mean, for both of us, I think it's, it's obviously so fascinating. We have the Apple Watch that's coming out here next year. 
totally new interface to design for, new tools, new ways of animating, much more rich interfaces. Like, what for you is kind of the most exciting thing about the, the space we're in right now? Um, what is really, really exciting to me is to hit an audience that is so huge and so crowded. And that audience is so diversified. That's, that didn't used to happen before. The, and audience, now, you the know, audience you're talking about is like global society, like human, yes. human species? Okay. So, I mean, we're talking about every gender, every race, every mm-hmm. background, ethnicity, anything possible. Everyone is using technology today. So that's really exciting because it, you really have to rethink about how you design your products. You know, what used to make sense before, like skeuomorphic, for example, doesn't make sense anymore because then you're, you're targeting a generation of people who grown into lettered calendars, for example. Nowadays, these teenagers, they, they don't know, they, they haven't really seen these lettered calendar. So because the audience is so diversified, you, you have to make sure that your design makes sense to a broad range of people. And I think that's really interesting and of course, I'm really, really passionate about the tools today because the tools are so much better than they used to be 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, if you've grown into Photoshop and you've learned in Photoshop for a number of years, it will totally make sense to you. But a designer who's fresh out, out of college, who have about you know, $100 a month in his pocket to spend on tools, probably won't want to invest that money and that energy learning a tool that takes a lot of time and expertise to to understand. Now with Sketch, you can literally just spend like a, a fraction of that to learn a tool that is completely made just for user interface design. So it's a lot more specialized, but also it's a lot more efficient and it's a lot simpler. Likewise for Xcode, I think Xcode has grown so much over the years that now, if, if you really just distill the, the parts that, it, that are interesting to you, you can go in and, and just learn all of these new things and take advantage of the array of technologies that are available to you, such as, you know, now we, we have access to the camera, to, you know, the GPS. All of these things are kind of taken for granted, mm-hmm. which is not something that used to be available to us before. And with the Apple Watch, I think it's going to be even more interesting. Do you think people are actually going to use the Apple Watch with Absolutely. Absolutely? Okay. People are already using the Apple Watch in a sense that they're using Fitbit and they're using whatever Samsung and Android came up with in terms of the watch. Now, I firmly believe that the Apple Watch will take it to the next level like they did with the iPhone, meaning that they have a lot more sensors going on. And they're really good at kind of connecting the family of Apple devices and, and make it, it, making it as seamless as possible. That's, to me, why Apple is so special in this field. And I feel like, you know, we have yet to realize what, how Apple is going to connect all of these things, but I'm really excited at, this, at the prospect of that. I'm, I'm pretty sure, especially, you know, looking at the, the, the focus on the sensors in the Apple Watch, um, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So we're coming down to the end of the hour together, and obviously there's some technical stuff that got in the way here, but I want to kind of close with what's next for you. What, you you've written a book, which is one of those things, a life goal that a lot of people have, and it seems like you've already checked that one off, and you're, you're touring. You're almost like a rock star right now. Um, so what's the next jump? What's the next, the next thing? So um, no product in the world um, come without criticism, so I do get a bit of criticism and of course, there's a ton of people who love the book, the book. but those criticism is, is more about like, 
I should definitely like expand a little bit more on the material, you know, like for example, you know, I need to, to go back to the book and, and kind of update it for iOS 8 and iPhone 6 and stuff like that. And, and more on the developer front, I want to hire developers to help me write, you know, even more advanced, um, not necessarily advanced in the sense that, you know, it's going to be more complicated to teach, but more in the, in the sense of power, because I think what's really good about iOS development is that it's really, really powerful. And if you really master that, you can build anything you want with all the technologies that you want. So I'm in the process of, of hiring an iOS engineer right now who would be willing to travel with me, for example, and, and kind of help me write a book and help me do those workshops. So, And I, I do so because I want to be responsible and I, I want to make sure that people learn the best standards possible, the, the, the best syntaxes, the best kind of notions in, in the field that I'm, I'm less comfortable with. And I, w- I do want to expand Design Plus Code as much as I can because, you know, as you know, 8,000 copies is not a small number. You know, it's, we're, we're close to a half a million dollars in revenue, basically. Wow. So it's huge. Yeah, it's massive. And, Sounds like there's you know, just a little bit of interest in, in uh, <laughs> designing a code for iOS. And, and with that comes a lot of responsibility. I feel like I, I owe to these people better content every day, you know, and, and more content and these workshops and, you know, hiring more people to help with, you know, making the content even better. Hmm. You know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, when the Apple Maps first launched, you know, like they, they were kind of like being criticized a lot and they, they launched something that felt made a lot of sense and because they were passionate about bringing like a better kind of experience throughout the whole um, platform, but they, ha- they knew they had to expand as time goes by. And I feel the same way about Design Plus Code is that when I first wrote it, I thought, you know, I don't want my, my limitation to limit me from writing a book because everyone says, hey, I'm going to write a book, but they don't, they never do it because of X reason. So, I decided to write a book and I did it and I'm really happy about it. I'm really happy that people are interested in it. But at the same time, I thought, well, those are my limitations. I definitely want to get better at this. And I, that's why, you know, I want to kind of bring the, the workshops and hire engineers to, to really help with the content. And uh, eventually, I mean, it's already a company, um, but I might want to settle at some point, like maybe in Vancouver or something like that. And maybe I'll, I'll start a team there and, yeah. uh, I would be really, really happy kind of building, you know, the best Mac apps, the best iOS apps that I can build, as well as, you know, the best products. Brilliant. Uh, that is a phenomenal note to end on. Yeah, and I personally look forward to more content, and everything you just described is, is exciting. So that being said, I really want to thank you for your timing, too. And, yeah, it's just a, a really inspiring, exciting journey you've been on, and uh, great to kind of meet you in the process. So if you're ever out in San Francisco, please drop by the ThoughtBot office. And I will. We'd love, to, we'd love to see you. Awesome. And thank you so much for inviting me to this uh, interview. I'm really, really happy to speak to, to everyone who's really passionate about the, the things that we do, like, you know, iOS development, design and sketch and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm always happy to speak about the process. 
Um, really, really excited about this interview, and thank you so much for you know inviting me. Absolutely. Enjoy your night. You too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at giantrobots.fm/slash127. And this episode was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening.